You know, everything reminds me of a story from the military. Sorry, but uh, that's all I got. Nothing wrong with that. Um, no, but it, it struck me that uh, the first time I was ever exposed to something called night vision goggles. If any, you see them on TV, they really exist. And uh, we had to drive somewhere at night um, off-road, just me and a sergeant who was driving. And uh, he had night vision goggles, and I had nothing. And I, and I remember it real well. I mean, we, I'd played with them in training, but I'd never uh, actually been out doing anything with them. And so uh, I remember we drove this Humvee, you know. It's not the kind like you see on the streets in Naperville. It's <laughs> same brand, but it looks real different on the inside. And uh, I remember, you know, he got in, we closed the doors. It was dark out. There was no moon, you know, but we had the lights on and everything. And then he put this thing on his head switched it on, and then he switched off all the lights, including the lights on the dashboard. So there was nothing. I couldn't even see the windshield, I'm doing this, you know. I couldn't see my hand, I couldn't see anything. It was so black. And, uh, you know, and he just, off we go. And we had, this was off-road, so it was a lot of bumping. And, and I tell you, if you can't see, it's, it's terrible to try and sit and ride because you can't brace yourself. You don't see what's coming. And he was driving away, and you know, he was actually enjoying himself a, a good deal. And I'm over there trying to wedge myself in. I've got the seatbelt on as tight as I could get it. And uh, I think I told him to slow down about half a dozen times, and finally he just stopped. You know, and he said, Chaplain, can you drive one of these? And I said, yeah. I can drive one of these. And he said, great. And he got out, he came around, and he opened my door. It's still pitch black, right? I can't see anything. And he pulls me out of the car and puts the night vision goggles on me. And oh my goodness. I mean, it was like my eyes were opened, right? And so I was like, this is great. And I went around, I got in the driver's seat, and he climbed in and cinched his seatbelt on, and off we went. And this was, it was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> and I couldn't help but enjoy taking a look at this. This was actually the colonel's driver, really um, tough sergeant. And uh, he was braced in the side of the thing, just like I was. I didn't feel too bad, because he couldn't see anything. So I'm driving over stuff, and he's trying to tough it out. But, uh, but you know, when we got to where we were going, it really made me think, you know, as a Christian, my spiritual eyes have been opened. I can see down the road what's coming with the light of Christ. And it, it I don't know how people survive as non-Christians. Because, I mean, you're gonna go over the same bumps, but when I can see, I can brace myself, I have understanding of what's going on, I can see at a deeper level than just, you know, getting bounced around. And it, I, I always give thanks for that, you know, and I, I just think it's, it's a, it's a wonder, as I walk around in town sometimes, I was walking in Naperville this morning, you know, I see people and I wonder, 
How do they walk through life with all that goes on, with all they're buffeted by, without the light that Christ gives to, uh, to show them really what's going on? And, and we also are bearers of that light, right? We can pass that light on to people. And uh, you know, that's part of what we were about in this. Because as we see Christ at a deeper level through these exercises, I think our light burns a little brighter and we have more to pass on. So, you know, for what that's worth, Jesus is the light of the world and even he now is beginning his passion. going to lead us through a guided meditation of, on Jesus at the home of Simon the leper. And I would suggest um, getting your journal and your pen kind of handy. Uh, we're going to put everything down, but in a little while you'll have opportunity to journal and it'd be nice to have it handy. Let's get comfortable in our seats so that we can enter into this meditation, enter into the scene. At first, I'll read the passage in Matthew 26, and then I'll read the same account in Mark 9. Jesus told his disciples, you know that Passover comes in two days. That's when the Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over for crucifixion. At that very moment, the party of high priests and religious leaders was meeting in the chambers of the chief priest named Caiaphas, conspiring to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. They agreed that it should not be done during Passover week. We don't want a riot on our hands, they said. When Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him as he was eating dinner and anointed him with a bottle of very expensive perfume. When the disciples saw what was happening, they were furious. That's criminal. This could have been sold for a lot and the money handed out to the poor. When Jesus realized what was going on, he intervened. Why are you giving this woman a hard time? She has just done something wonderfully significant for me. You will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives, but not me. When she poured this perfume on my body, what she really did was anoint me for burial. 
you can be sure that when, wherever in the whole world the message is preached, what she has done is going to be remembered and admired. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. As we begin, let's compose ourselves in this story and take note of the characters. We'll begin indoors in the home of Simon the leper. First, notice the room itself. Does the space feel crowded or spacious? Is this gathering happening during daylight hours or at night?
What about the lighting? What is the main source of light in the room? Where is Jesus in relation to the light? Is he in full light or is he in the shadows? Do you notice any smells? Can you smell food in the room? What do the people smell like who are there? <coughs> now, notice the people at this gathering. First, let's turn our attention to Simon the leper. What do you notice about him? Is there anything about his face, his mannerisms, and movements that indicate he is now or was in the past afflicted with leprosy? Has Jesus healed him? Or perhaps you see him as a modern leper, one who's known addiction or extreme poverty or an ex-con. Notice his eyes, his face, his attitudes towards his guest. Is there anything 
that indicates his openness and hospitality towards his guest. Then notice the disciples. Some, though not all, are present. Who do you see in your imagination? Peter? James? John? Matthew? Andrew, Thomas, <clears throat> you're there in the room. Take a moment to notice one or more of the disciples and allow them to notice you. Then notice the other guest. Since they're in Bethany, perhaps Martha and Mary are there, or their brother Lazarus who was just recently raised from the dead. Is Martha helping to serve? What is the emotional atmosphere of the room and the conversations? And then turn your attention to Jesus. What do you notice about him? What is it like for him to be in the company of these people whom he loves? Watch his face as he interacts with the people there. How does he listen? Is he smiling? Pause here for a moment as we prepare to turn our attention to the unnamed woman who is on the street.
carrying the alabaster flask of oil. She's making her way to the gathering. This unnamed woman has a history with Jesus. Perhaps he touched and healed her of an affliction. She has heard rumors in Bethany about a plot to kill Jesus. She believed the rumors and she feels a great urgency about finding Jesus before it's too late. Allow yourself to enter deeply into her experience. Imagine you can see what she sees, think what she thinks, and feel what she feels. First, notice the street on which she walks. What does it feel like under her feet? What size is the alabaster flask? Is she carrying it openly? Or perhaps because it's valuable, is she hiding it? Can you smell the perfumed oil? What feelings are evoked by this smell? As she gets closer to Simon's house, how does she feel? Notice her feelings and her movements. Approach the house and knock on the door as if you were the woman. How do you feel as you wait for a response? Pay attention to the sounds coming from the house and the sounds of the door being opened by Simon the leper. What do you see on his face when he sees you? Notice his gestures as he welcomes you into his house. Now scan the room to find out where Jesus is reclining at table. How do you feel when you see him? <coughs> Move towards Jesus. Get close enough to him to touch his head, close enough to smell his hair. You may need to kneel.
make eye contact with Jesus. Let him look at you. Look at him looking at you. You have his complete attention. When you are ready, open the flask and pour the oil on Jesus' head. Tell him whatever is on your heart and your mind. Listen to these words of affirmation as Jesus honors you and acknowledges your spiritual wisdom and insight. Listen as he honors your gift to him. She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Is there anything more that you want to say to Jesus right now? Speak to Jesus as a friend talks with a friend and let him be present to you as a friend. invite you to journal. Um, you'll have about three minutes.
You have about 30 seconds remaining. Okay, let me introduce to you where we're going now. You probably realize that we have shifted quite significantly. We're finishing the second movement and beginning the third. I want to give you um, just a sense of how this fits, maybe give you some pointers about what you might expect uh, in the next few weeks uh, leading up to um, Easter, and then we begin the fourth movement right after Easter, um, which has to do with all the uh, all the exercises connected to the resurrection. Um, I think how I want to introduce this to you. I think I want to begin by saying a little something about um, what is considered. Uh, this is really like classical mystical theology. Is that we go through, um, it's very common for us to go through many iterations of um, a three-part cycle that begins with purgation, uh, which leads to illumination, which leads to union, and the spiritual exercises certainly uh, fit in with this pattern, although it's not a straightforward um, uh, progression. So, but you might think, generally speaking, of the first movement uh, as we were looking at our sin, we faced our inner demons, uh, we received that fresh sense of the cleansing and washing of Jesus as quite fitting to that classical idea of purgation. And the second movement, as we allow Jesus to reveal himself to us, and we're praying for the grace to encounter Jesus who became human for us, for that grace to love and to serve him more closely. And I think for most people, there is a, a lot of illumination, um, uh, a seeing of Jesus that just seems quite fresh and quite new when we realize that it's been given to us as a gift. Uh, that will continue. The illumination um, will continue. I hope that you have some really profound encounters with Jesus' humanity as we look at his passion. But along with that is this third... Um, a little more ephemeral idea of the idea of union. Um, these third and fourth weeks um, are, are understood to be a, a time that we move into greater union with Christ. Uh, so we're seeking what you might call unitive um, graces. Union with God, it's such a mystical sounding idea. Um, my first uh, sort of exposures and fascinations with mysticism, it was usually a very, uh, you know, you, I would read these accounts of these people who were like caught up into the heavens or um, it would be, you know, sort of like flowers and loveliness and beautifulness and light and, you know, 
loss of sense of self and absorption into the divine. You know, it sounds all kind of, I don't know, a little bit like a drug trip, right? Um, and, um, but at the same time, I remember just kind of being super fascinated by it. And uh, there is that part of uh, union with God that I think mystics through the ages, you know, would describe in that way. But if we think of that as only, the only way that um, union with God happens, we miss so much. Because so much of union with God is actually this invitation to share in the sufferings of Christ. So it's this unitive experience with Jesus in his, in his sufferings. Um, and allowing him to enter into our sufferings in ways that are fresh and new. So it is a kind of union that is a kind of being with. And I think the word that has come to mean the most to me is solidarity. Um, solidarity, of course, has a political kind of connotation of people standing together, right, for a, a common sense of their value and their identity and their destiny. Um, but Jesus, of course, just the incarnation of itself is this incredible act of solidarity, right? He becomes a human being. Uh, but in a very special way, as we begin contemplating the passion of Christ, we're entering into um, solidarity with him in his suffering as he suffers and dies. It's a mystical union of solidarity with Jesus as he's rejected and uh, tried and condemned. Um, a little over two years ago, uh, my mother died. And um, I have to say this was one of the most profound experiences of solidarity I think I have ever uh, experienced. Um, I think like most of us, you know, I had been for, you know, well over a decade uh, dreading uh, my mother's passing. And um, it was actually so surprising to me. I mean, I felt uh, de deeply distressed, of course, um, but really, I would say that that process of actually accompanying her in the last days and hours and minutes of her life was probably the most, one of the most intimate experiences I've actually ever had with another human being. Um, there's no more pretense. There's no um, posturing. There's no image projecting. Uh, everything is so real. Um, and there was a way that um, you know, by the time we got to the end, she didn't really need me to do much for her. She just wanted me to be there with her. Um, I remember coming into her, um, her room, uh, I don't know, maybe six hours before she died, and uh, she was kind of out of it, and uh, the hospice nurse came and sort of repositioned her, got her more comfortable, put her head up. I rubbed her feet a little bit, and she went from seeming like she was asleep to suddenly being wide awake. Um, if you know anything about death and dying, this is very common that people have a, a period of intense wakefulness um, before they pass. And um, it was so uh, powerful that what she wanted to do was just look at me. You know, she wanted, she wanted me to look at her and she wanted to look at me. She just wanted eye contact with me. Um, she was really too weak to even hold my hand. Um, it was really just the gift of presence that we were giving um, to one another. Um, 
And so I want to encourage you as you uh, move through these, these reflections on the passion of Jesus to just receive this invitation to be with Jesus. Um, it means a lot to someone when they're suffering and dying just to have someone there. Uh, that's, you know, that's the simple thing about worrying about saying the wrong thing when you're with someone who's suffering. Probably if you don't say anything and you're just with them, things will go well, you know. Uh, you can't really do anything wrong by saying nothing when you're with someone when they're suffering. And so uh, this is an invitation from the Lord to be with him while he's suffering. Um, I do want to warn you that it is uh, very common that because we're dealing with issues of suffering, you may have another set of memories even that comes up for you. It's not uncommon for people to experience a lot of desolation, um, depression, grief. Um, this can be difficult. It's sometimes called the darkness of the third week or the third movement, and it's just like an observable thing that's happened as people have made the spiritual exercises over the centuries. Um, don't, don't worry about that. Um, yes, there, you may have some incredible consolation, um, but don't worry about it if, you're, if this seems like this is like the worst part ever of transformation intensive, that it's harder for you now than ever before. It could be that that's actually part of your experiencing solidarity with Jesus. Um, Ignatius, it's interesting, he, uh, he actually suggests that we might ask for what he calls the grace of confusion. And that seems so strange, doesn't it, the grace of confusion? Um, I actually had an interesting experience of this sort of, um, and he thinks confusion is a good thing. If you're apathetic and you feel nothing, that's when he's worried about you. Uh, well, we had these you know, wonderful uh, guests here with this with us at Church of the Resurrection this weekend who were really um, just powerful in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was so active. And um, I had a couple of these really intensive, um, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes at a time, where I would, I would feel deep consolation and then outrageous fear and worry and incredibly negative thoughts. And then back to the consolation and the quiet and the rest. And this, it's, it's more this sense of like something is happening here. You know, there's this kind of alteration, the kind of a radical consolation, desolation shift. And um, as far as Ignatius is concerned, even though this is really difficult, and you might need someone to talk, about, talk to if you kind of get, you know, sort of get lost in the weeds here. Um, but this confusion is a way of also entering into uh, Jesus' humanity, Right, because we know the end of the story. Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. Um, but for Jesus, that's kind of theoretical <laughs> at this point. And so as a human being, he has to deal with all the ordinary fears about death and about suffering that does create a lot of this sort of mental difficulty. So I encourage you, uh, instead of just feeling really bad, uh, or feeling like you're not praying very well to, to say, oh, maybe this that I'm experiencing right now, maybe I'm participating a little bit in the turmoil that Jesus experienced in the days leading up to his, um, to his crucifixion. Um, we enter into 
Christ's humanity because he's living in this tension between his absolute trust in the Father and everything else. His human fear of pain, uh, the demonic battle that a rage draw all around him, the limitations of his knowledge. You know, he had clues from scripture, but he had no way of knowing as a human being exactly how everything was going to work out. Uh, that uh, deeper magic, as Aslan says in the Chronicle of Narnia, you know, has yet to be tested. Um, and so this, this kind of darkness that goes along with uncertainty in this time is a part of that experience, and I just don't want you to be frightened by that if it happens. And please reach out to your small group leader or, you know, feel free to give me a call. We can talk on the phone for a few minutes. Just, I just don't want you to get too discouraged or lost in all of that. So let me introduce the materials to you for this week. Uh, we are on page 104. And you'll see that we are uh, praying with uh, preparing for the Passover of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and Jesus telling his disciples that he will be betrayed. So this is really a small amount of material. Um, I, had a, I went on a retreat this summer, and uh, my director wanted me to spend um, the better part of a day praying over the uh, preparation for the Passover. And um, he was like, you know, do you like to entertain? Do you like to cook? He was like, go all out, you know, when you're imagining uh, this, this meal. It was really fun. Um, I, I think I would have kept it much more grim, you know, like... Uh, not really thinking about the, the, the festive quality here and the enjoyment and the food and all those details. So to this end, um, if you turn to your resource section on page 115, uh, you will see um, an excerpt from uh, Man Born to be King by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, and if you turn on to page um, 116, you'll see this little seating chart uh, that um, Dorothy Sayers put together, I'm assuming for the readers, because this was a radio production. Um, but it might help you just to um, keep sort of the physical space in mind uh, as you uh, pray with these passages. And I encourage you to read her imagination of this really prayerfully. You know, don't hesitate to take a line out of that and write it in your journal and and to pray with it like we've prayed with other uh, materials. But I think it'll help to really just fire up your imagination. Um, there is one article right after that that is from Creighton University's version of the spiritual exercises, which are online. Um, it's, for some reason, it's not in the instructions for this week, but I just want to let you know it's there, um, uh, which is page 125, Jesus gives us his body and blood. So that might also serve as some inspiration for you as you, um, as you enter into these passages. Uh, I'll tell you a little tale from when I was praying with these the first time, um, and I was experiencing a lot of that sort of confusion and desolation, and like I really wanted to have a really solid experience of prayer, um, and it was just not happening with the usual ways that I was going about it. So I decided to get in my car, come over to the church, get into All Saints Chapel, and um, I was like, is there anything else I can do to get in greater proximity to Jesus? That well, I got a key to the tabernacle, you know, so the reserved sacraments in there. We can't get any closer than that, you know? 
So, but I was like desperate. I was like, Lord, you know, I want to meet with you. And, um, and so, so I did, you know, I sat there. I'm like, I can't think of any other way to get closer to you, Lord. Um, please, you know, I, I really want to meet with you. And it was just this beautiful experience of letting the Lord wash my feet. So I encourage you to actually let yourself, you know, don't just be a, a participant uh, or like an observer in these stories. Actually come and be a, a participant. Um, and do, do what it takes. You know, I think God just so honors um, our... Um, when we, you know, you take, a, you take an inch, you, you move a little, and he moves towards you even more powerfully. And then the last thing I want to, uh, well, two things I want to bring to your attention. First is part of this week is uh, the triple colloquy. I don't know if you have found much traction with this yet, but this is back in the main uh, section of your notebook as part of the introduction to this week. Um, I think it helps, that the triple colloquy helps us to get into focus what we're really hoping for and longing from the Lord. So I thought I'd read to you uh, from my journal first time through with this. Uh, this was my colloquy. I decided to start my conversation with Mary. Uh, this is what I wrote. Mary, surely your heart was filled with dread as you accepted the testing of your beloved son. Please pray for me. I wish to be with your son and his passion. Pray that I might have the gift of humility and love and courage. Ask the Father to send me a greater measure of the Holy Spirit to enter into these contemplations. I long for the company and nearness of your son. And then uh, to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you told your disciples that they would drink the cup you drank and be baptized with the baptism with your baptism. I am not among the martyrs. However, I desire the nearness to you that comes from sharing in your suffering. Please draw me to yourself as we begin the contemplation of your passion. I desire the expansion of my soul and a greater measure of your Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy on me and forgive me if my desire is wrong or if I am self-deceived. Please, Lord, I desire more. I, I desire to be more fully yours, more movable by your Holy Spirit, um, and a few, a few other things. To this end, Jesus, draw me into greater friendship with you through the contemplation of your passion. And then finally, with the Father. Father, please send me a greater measure of your Spirit, and send your Spirit in greater measure to all of us who are making the exercises, um, so that they're individual... Uh, Pour out your spirit on us as a group. Draw us into your passion. So I just encourage you to experiment again with that triple colloquy if you haven't yet. And then finally, on your way out tonight, um, you will see two baskets back there, and they all have these small, smooth stones in them. Um, these are solidarity stones. You know, they both started with an S, right? S for solidarity, S for stone. I just thought it was kind of clever. But um, what I like about it is that um, it's, it's weighty enough that I can feel like I'm with the stone and the stone's with me, okay? So this is the sense of I'm with Jesus and his passion, and Jesus is with me and my suffering. Um, so I encourage you just to, uh, you can put this in your place of prayer, you can keep it in your pocket, 
whatever you want to do is just kind of an aid to remember um, that prayer of, you know, Jesus, I want to be in solidarity with you. I want to be with you in your suffering. So as we exit in silence, I encourage you just to pick up one of those stones as you move to your, uh, to your group. Amen.